0: Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: You know, I've knocked my teeth out uh, many times, broken all kinds of bones. Um, my foot goes numb sometimes. Uh, so it's just like I already wake up in pain every day. And uh, just thinking about what, how my body's going to feel 20 years from now, I definitely, uh, you know, it uh, it just motivates me to uh, try and get after the things I want to do because I know there's going to come a day where I can't you know go to the river at three in the morning and hike for an hour in the dark to get to my spot you know there's going to be a day when my body's just not going to be up for it so now i'm trying to do it as much as i can while i can
0: that was ed Furkin reminding us to appreciate every single day we have a chance to fish freestyle bmx steelhead and surf perch today on the wet fly swing fly fishing show
2: Welcome to the
0: Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. Have you been finding some topics that you would love to hear more about? You can send me a uh, email or a, a message on social media right now and let me know. Uh, Dave at wetflyswing.com. This episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, putting together remote Alaska wilderness trips for a trip of a lifetime. This is not your average lodge-style trip. This is floating down a remote Alaskan river, mousing for rainbows, and taking in the scenery. You can head over to wetflyswing.com fishhound to connect with Adam and support the great stuff they have going at Fishhound we're also sponsored by bear vault who has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry. bear vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking cancer that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food you can head over to wetflyswing.com bear vault to check out this must have solution right now that's wetflyswing.com b-e-a-r-v-a-u-l-t bear vault Ed Furkin and Kyle McCurdy take us on a Wild Waters West journey as we go deep into surf perch fishing. We find out how they are handling the changes in the steelhead numbers, which used to be a big focus for them, and that's obviously slowed down a little bit. We talk about what they're focusing on this year and some deep, dark stories on the meaning of life. This is a fun one. Uh, definitely, I'm telling you, these are... Uh, I think you're going to like this one. We uh, we kind of uh, covered it all today, and from a couple of cool dudes. So, uh, so without further ado, here they are: Ed and Kyle from WatersWest.com.
2: How's it going, guys? Doing great. Doing good. Nice rainy Olympic Peninsula morning. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Is it raining up there? Oh yeah, yes, sir. Coming down pretty good. There you go. That's we've
0: had a it's it's been a wet season, right?
2: Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. Hope it yeah.
0: continues. Yeah, that's right. You guys are in a pretty amazing... The Olympics, uh, I mean, that whole area is... Is, I mean, I've been up there a few times and uh, fishing not as much as I'd like. I know things have changed a little bit, you know, with the steelhead numbers and stuff, and we might touch on that later in the episode. But um, we're going to dig into Waters West today and probably touch on uh, surf perch and maybe some other species if, as time allows. But um, before we get into all that, why don't you guys start us off? And Ed, why don't you take us just briefly, talk about how you, uh, l- let's take it to, we're going to talk about the fly shop, but let's take it to first, how, how'd you get into fly fishing? then we'll take it over to Kyle and then to the fly shop
1: okay yeah totally um so i've been fishing pretty much my entire life uh you know my dad was um uh, not a hardcore fisherman but he always really liked it um like to the point where he actually does not how to tie a knot every time he ties a lure or a fly or whatever on he uses a different knot <laughs> um he just makes it up on the spot and it nice. always works and every time he go fishing he somehow catches the biggest fish than anybody else even though he just like absolutely doesn't try he's just like <laughs> completely operating on vibes it's the wildest thing um but so he used to take me out fishing a lot and i actually grew up in mexico i was born and raised in mexico uh so we used to go fish all those uh the famous bass lakes in sinaloa that's where i really uh, started fishing and uh you know I just got super hardcore into fishing when i was a little kid and uh, i used to fish a lot for several years and then um I kind of got uh, got burned out on it because, you know, we we're fishing all these big lures with uh, the double treble hooks. And then just like every fish you catch, you'd rip half its face off or you'd be ripping chunks out of the side. And it just, you know, it got to be too much because we'd be having you know like 200 fish days on these bass lakes. And just like half the fish would be throwing them back. It's like, oh, God, this poor thing. And as I got older, you know, once I got to be like 11 or 12, it was like, like I couldn't handle it. It was too much. So I kind of stopped fishing for a while. And then, you know, fast forward, uh, getting a career and working and all this time started getting, you know, like something was really missing and, uh, just on a whim went fly fishing one day and it's like, Oh wow. You can use these tiny hooks without barbs and not destroy every fish you catch and release. like. This is awesome. And then it just it just completely consumed my life. <laughs> there it is.
0: And we'll dig into a little bit on on the transition there and then eventually to the fly shop. But uh Kyle,
2: why don't you take
0: us there a little bit just uh, quickly to, to your, your story on fly fishing?
2: Yeah, I was kind of born into it. My grandpa moved to the peninsula in nineteen thirty-seven and pretty much grew up on the Elwa River. And by the time I was able to hold a fly rod, he was teaching me off his buddy's dock out of Lake Crescent on the Elwa and it just exploded from there. I took a couple of years off in my teenage years cause I was distracted by teenage stuff. And then, you know, by the time I got to my like late teens and early twenties, it just consumed my life again. And it's all I ever wanted to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is it. What's the, and we've had, um, we've had, uh, well, I guess the, the episode with uh, Trevor was a good one, uh, up there. We dug into it, but, um, Talk about for, you know, we got people all around the country listening here. Um, describe that Olympic Peninsula. Why, I mean, it's this, you know, it's a national park, right? You've got all sorts of stuff. What What makes it, if you guys had to say, what's the one thing that makes that area so special?
2: Everything. There's just so much diversity and so much just like untapped beauty and possibilities, whether you want to go fish a coastal beach one minute and then drive up to the mountains into an alpine lake or any of the coastal rivers or small streams or lowland lakes, there's a little bit of opportunity for everybody depending on what they want to do.
1: Yeah. And even beyond just the fishing opportunity, just the, uh, the scenery around here is pretty, uh, pretty outstanding. You know, we often joke that we have the, uh, the best view from a Walmart out of anywhere in the country. (laughs) If you go to the Walmart here in Port Angeles and you look back, uh, the the parking lot, you can see the Olympics and it just, you know, always, the snow-capped peaks and it's just really stunning. Every time I go to Walmart, I stand there in the parking lot for at least a few seconds of just, you know, That's mouth cool. agape, just like, "Wow, what a what a place!" And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty much everywhere you go. There's not an ugly place around here. Even actually, even the city
2: dump is super scenic. <laughs> oh yeah, so you got mountains all around you. Yeah, yeah. everything's yeah. accessible. You can be on the beach, and then a half hour later, be at the top of a mountain looking at. entire peninsula
1: yeah that's another thing you know you could go uh you could go snowboarding in the morning and surfing in the afternoon and then fishing in the evening right uh, kind of thing so it's it's yeah there's a lot of stuff to do around here that's
0: it that's awesome and uh well and, and so the waters west is a is a name i've heard about for quite a while you know you guys have uh you're kind of up north of where i'm at and um but talk about that because I think there was another uh, owner right that I'm not sure if he's still uh, involved or maybe it was the founder. Um but talk about the story. How did how did um I'm assuming Ed that you you ran into Waters West first or how, how did that all work? Do you, can you give us a little Waters West uh, quick history there?
1: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. So Waters West was started by Dave Steinbaugh Um he started um in the mid-90s, he started doing a mail-order service. He was kind of splitting his time between Montana and here. Um, he, was a, uh, he was a fishing guide, and uh, so he started, he'd be guiding Montana, and then he'd come out here and uh, fish in the wintertime and then go back there and work, and then he started kind of guiding both places, and then eventually he settled here and uh, you know opened up a small small location, actually just across the street from where we are now, and then he uh you know, he built it up over the years. And um, yeah, I'd say that the hallmark of um of what what Dave created was just really um just really high quality uh, materials. Like he got into dyeing his own materials really early on and just like really meticulously tied flies. And if you you know, if you've ever met Dave and uh or talked to Dave, you know that he's got very high standards for flies and materials and uh you know, he, he's the guy that would get like irate when uh, something wasn't up to par. So it, it really showed. And like, that's kind of what built up the reputation of uh, just, you know, really high quality. It had to be perfect. It sounds like we
0: were kind of off air getting started. We were talking, I mentioned the Steve Jobs, you know what I mean? The uh, how he was this uh, perfectionist but he, but you know what I mean? But he was, he could kind of be a little bit, uh, rub people, uh, the wrong way. It was that, is that kind of how, how, uh, date or th- this
1: person was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It would not be a, a far stretch to say that Dave Steinbott is the Steve jobs of fly time materials, even though, um, Dave is much, much cooler than Steve jobs. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's cool. Right on. So, uh, so
0: good. So that's, that's the shop. And then how did you, um, and then, how did you run into the shop? How do you go from back to where you're saying you, you found fly fishing? It sounded you know, you, and then all of a sudden you're you're addicted to it. And then, how does how did you run into the shop?
1: Um, yeah, so uh, you know, after growing up in Mexico and uh, moved to uh, San Diego to go to college, and I was on there. And then I, um, after graduating, I ended up in the Bay Area working several tech jobs. I, I was a software engineer for a very long time and, uh, you know, I started fishing those, uh, those steelhead rivers there in Northern California. Uh, you know, and it got to uh, where I would, uh, I'd get off work and then I'd drive five, six hours to uh, one of those rivers up there and then, you know, fish a day or two and then drive right back and go to work. And I was doing this almost every weekend and, uh, you know, caught some fish up there and then I... You know, it's like, okay, these fish are pretty awesome. Where can I catch the biggest one? And then, you know, you just get on the internet and you, eventually I found this place and uh, started coming up here uh, to fish and, uh, you know, caught some fish up here. And it's was like, wow, you work just as hard to catch them up here as you do down there, but they, they tend to be a little bit bigger. Uh, so that just completely enchanted me. And then one day um, I met actually uh, Justin Waters and, uh, he told me about waters West because I was looking for, uh, y- you know, just really good steelhead fly time materials. I had never even heard of it because, um, never really done that much marketing. It was always just word of mouth, uh, up here at the shop. And, uh, so I, I you know, I, uh, became a customer and, uh, after a while I heard a rumor that Dave wanted to sell, he was ready to retire and, uh, yeah, it was just kind of mm-hmm. made it happen. Had uh had a bunch of money saved up, earned a bunch of money, and uh we made it happen. I was way overdue for a career change, uh so it all worked out great.
0: Perfect. That's it. And then you're in. So it all started, it comes back to like uh yeah, steelhead and the flight time materials, these 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 perfect getting the right materials, which is that's a pretty cool story.
1: Yeah, and it was uh, you know, it was hard to find places that had just everything that you needed. There's lots of places that got like some you know hot pink marabou here and there and the like kind of stuff but um this is the very first place i ever went to that just had everything you could need to go swing yeah. flies for uh, steelhead or salmon or whatever At it all you know, it was very cool
0: and you guys now so and so not only steelhead and say we're going to dig in a little bit on the surf perch what are the just before we jump there species wise and you're on the west side what are the maybe the top species you guys are focusing on out there
2: Really seasonal in the winter time, obviously steelhead, and come spring, salmon and trout, and then but also springtime is the peak time for surf perch because they're in close and they're schooling and spawning, and sea run cutthroat. And this time of year, also like lingcod opens up, and you can catch those off the jetties if you go out more towards the western coast or black rockfish. The alpine lakes fish good if there's not much snowpack.
0: That's right. So those are all good, and you guys are. Like we said, you're, you're near the ocean, so that opens up that resource. I was uh, we did a while back. We did have one episode on. Um, it was kind of talking on some of the the lean cod uh, off the jetty stuff. But today we're going to talk uh, surf perch and really kind of dig into this because I think that you know people it, it, it's up and down the coast. I'm not sure how far down surf perch go through California, but there's definitely a lot of content out there on on California. Um, but but let's start. Let's start us off here. So where First of all, you mentioned the spring. So right now we're kind of going to be, you know, it's like June, July, August. So time of year, this is not the best time to be fishing for them.
2: It's not a bad time. I mean, we've probably our best times have been late April, June, but we've had a bit of a a colder spring so far. So it still should be pretty, pretty good.
0: Gotcha. Let's just start. You know, first of all, I like to start off kind of where we're at. So, you guys are, you know, we're talking beaches. Like, how, if somebody's listening right now, they want to go get, they want to go find some of these fish. Can they just go out to any beach and start looking for a rip current or something like that? Or how does that look?
2: Um, Pretty much like any beach west of here. Like, a lot of the beaches right here on the peninsula and east are pretty rocky. And generally, with the surf birch, you want like a pretty steep gradient beach that's sandy that has like good breaking waves. So, like, anything along, the Northern and Western coast will have surf birch like the state records from Claylock, which is, you know, a couple hours South of us and all those beaches are super easily accessible and there's miles and miles and miles of beach for you to wander on. There
0: you go. So you want, so rocks, so you don't want rocks. You want a beach with, with no rocks or as little as possible.
2: Yeah. Cause yeah. the breaking waves will turn over the sand and release all the sand shrimp and smaller crustaceans that they're feeding on. And the rocks just make that a little bit more difficult for them to pick up their food.
0: Gotcha. That's it. So that that's the, and maybe you can describe that a little bit. That's essentially what these fish are doing. And there's probably a, a number of species that are doing this, but the, the, the current comes in, it rips up a little pocket of food And the, and what are the, what are the surfers doing? Are they just kind of sitting back, uh, hanging or are they coming in and out with the, 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 the waves? And then, and then how are, where are you guys? Are you go, going in and out? How are you getting past the surf?
1: Uh, so actually, uh, we found, um, you know, at least in, in the areas here where we fish, uh, you know, we we're trying when we were trying to figure it out, we were watching all these videos on YouTube and we we're watching guys wade up to their necks and casting super far with all these super heavy sinking lines. And we tried that for a while and we weren't having a whole lot of success. And then, uh, one day Kyle and I were, uh, just kind of messing around on you know, it was a nice, um, the, uh, steelhead season had been closed early. So we just kind of didn't really have much to do then. And, uh, we went out to the beach and, uh, you know, just kind of messing around. And we found that we were just making short little casts uh, right into the backwash on the waves and just kind of letting our flag get sucked into that, uh, that backwash. And then we started catching fish left and right, uh, on like a 10 foot cast. And then, uh, you know, after that, that kind of like opened our eyes to just how easy to catch these things are. Uh, and it typically, you know, once you get on them, you're, you're usually good for 10, 20 fish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it can be kind of tough to find where in the beach they are. Cause there's some beaches are pretty featureless. Um, uh, but it's, you really, if you find the, the steepest part of the beach in the sand where it kind of like gets a real big churn when the, uh, when the wave breaks, Right. um, especially if there's a, a rip current around there, uh, or if you're close to like a Creek mouth or a river mouth, um, those, uh, you know, those areas seem to be the most productive and you know, typically will just go to a beach and, uh. You know, stand in the spot for maybe five minutes, make some casts in there. If you don't get anything, you know, move, say, 10, 20 feet down the beach in either direction and keep trying, and eventually you, you'll start getting into them.
0: So that's it. That, no, this is really cool. So it, and I was kind of picturing that, and I saw some of the videos too of the guys casting a like, two-handed rod, hucking it out as far as they can and having a, a stripping basket and all that stuff. So, But this is really cool because you're saying literally you can just – um, you know, cast short and, and just let the current, uh, describe that a little more. So you, so you cast. So if you're sitting out there, you, you found a spot you think, you know, it d- is mostly sand and, mm-hmm. and do you want to, well, before we get into let, let's, let's, we got the tides too, I want to talk about, but so how does that look? First of all, the casting, just describe that again. Um,
1: so, uh, you know, personally I use a, a five weight with an intermediate line, and then uh, fly-wise, you can, you, you can go as basic as just a clouser minnow or like any type of, uh, like say like bonefish flies, like heavy bonefish flies with the lead eyes. Um, I'd say that's the most important consideration when uh, picking flies for surf perch is something that's got some lead eyes. Uh, so it'll cut through that surf and get right into the spot, uh, you know, where yeah. the fish are eating. Cause they're uh, like Kyle mentioned, they're typically eating, uh, you know, constra- uh, crustaceans, like uh, small sand shrimp or uh, sand fleas, sand crabs. Uh, so when the waves break, those, these things get churned up and the, and the fish just, uh, you know, they go into a frenzy there. They're so aggressive. Uh, so it's, it's really just a matter of having your fly in the zone and, and having it look like something that they would eat. Wow. This is really cool.
0: And it sounds like you guys are talking, whether you're in, You know, uh, probably anywhere along the coast, like we said, Washington all the way through Oregon down to through California. What we're talking about, do you think a lot of this stuff would apply to all those states?
1: Um, Well, we don't really, you know, we haven't really fished for them down there. So, And I'm sure every beach is different. There's probably Mm -hmm. beaches where you do need to get out there with a stripping basket and bomb it out there. Uh, but at least here on the, uh, you know, like the North and the West Washington coast, the places where we have targeted, them, it takes, you know, like most of the time I'll barely just have my leader out, uh, or like the leader and I don't know, 10, 20 feet of fly line. And, uh, that's about it. And just a five weight rod with the orange clouser is usually my go to
0: orange clouser and the intermediate line. So, and then you cast, so like you said, so the, a wave comes in. And are you casting like into that and then letting the wave take it back out? Is that what you're doing?
2: Kind of cast a, like as the wave breaks cast behind it and then let it get pulled down and then strip it back through that, that foamy wash.
0: Oh, right.
2: because they I'll be yeah. just cruising the shoreline, especially if there's, you know, a bit of a trough or a dugout area in the beach. that's a little bit deeper. They'll sit there and cruise and wait for the waves to break and pull food in. So you just cast your, fly behind the breaking wave, let it sink and soak in the current for a minute and strip it back and then just hammer it.
0: Yeah, god, that's cool. So again, I'm just picturing this beach, you know, looking out there, you got a beach that is and, and typically are, are your beaches fairly they're flat and gradual out to where it uh, you know eventually gets deeper or are you having some places where there's actually drop-off steeper
2: sections? It's easier with beaches that have a bit of a drop-off because if it's a super gradual slope the waves are breaking 30, 40, 50, 60 feet out, you're going to want to cast behind that. But if you find a beach with a nice sharp drop, the waves are going to break closer so you don't have to cast as far. So it's really beach dependent as far as how hard you're going to have to work or how far you're going to have to cast. That's it. So
0: that you're painting the picture well. So basically, yeah, if you find one of those beaches that's got a little bit steeper than it's dropping. It's going to break right in close and you could just, the fish are going to be right in close. So that's good. Uh, The the longer ones, you're probably going to have to have your two handed line rod and shooting out uh, whatever 80 feet across to get out there.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, It all depends on where, where the trough is, you know, it'll uh, where the, um, where the waves turn over, it'll kind of create a little trough and that's exactly where the fish will sit. So sometimes it could be, uh, you know, right at the very edge of the beach. And yeah. other things like meant, you know, it could be you know any distance away depending on the uh, the features and the gradient of the beach. Yeah, it's go. best
2: like if you can or have time, go scope any beach out at a really low tide and kind of look for features and yep. like where there's going to be some low points, and then come back hit. Generally, like the best tide will be an hour or two after high tide as the tide's moving out. Okay. And then hit them. A lot of times, especially the beaches around here, if you try and fish them on an incoming tide you're just going to get tangled up in seaweed the whole time and it's not going to be much fun. Oh, that's a
0: great tip. Okay. So, so go wait for the high tide and then wait for it going. Didn't you, and you said uh, wait for uh, two hours after high tide.
2: Yeah. Just like an hour or two after the slack high tide. Yeah. Okay.
0: Wow. That's, this is good. So we got, so we got that going and uh, finding the beach. Uh, And I'm, I'm assuming that like you said, up and down the coast, there's probably other species too. Are you guys catching other than surf perch? Are you, are you catching a bunch of different things out there?
1: Uh, Sometimes you will. I've actually, um, since last year, I've started using a uh, steel leader when I go surf perch fishing because I had one day where I was, uh, you know, I was catching some surf perch uh, on my five weight and um, all of a sudden I hooked into the, it must have been like a 12 pound lingcod or something because it just started ripping line. I almost got spooled, you know, I was, (laughs) you know, cranking down on this as hard as I could. And I just couldn't move it with this five weight, and then eventually it just sliced right through my leader. Uh, so in the springtime, the cod will actually come up and uh, try to eat the surf perch. So there is a, a very cool. real chance that you'll be fishing for uh, for you know a little surf perch and hook into a big lingcod that's in there trying to get them. Yeah. And you'll run into cutthroat when you're fishing for sure. Oh, yeah. Soon. Huh. yeah and, and people have caught salmon, you know, like people have caught kings uh, in close like that as well. Uh, wow. Greenling. Yeah, it's really, uh, that's another cool thing about here. Even the, in the rivers, uh, in the lakes, uh, the beaches, the longer your flies in the water, uh, you know, like, and the more time you spend that, you'll, you'll catch some unique stuff that you absolutely
0: did not expect. That is really cool. And you said one of the secrets is, is probably for any of these species you need to get down and are you getting down? Uh, I mean, just when you cast with the lead, is it just boom, your flies on the bottom there, kind of dragon sort of thing and then you're stripping it up off the bottom.
1: Uh, it can be, uh, you know, really, uh, the, the main purpose of the lead is to cut through the surf because mm-hmm. there's uh, the water's so churny and it's moving so quickly that, uh, Otherwise, it, it would just practically be on the surface. Uh, so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the bottom, but it needs to be uh, not on the surface either. You know, as long as you get like halfway down, that's say you're good. Because you know, we're usually fishing maybe three feet of water for these things. Usually, it's like a foot or two of water. So it's uh, you don't have to right. Uh, get super deep it's just a matter of cutting through the surf so they actually see it and it it gets them you get a more uh natural presentation uh in relation to what they're actually feeding on
2: yeah and with the intermediate line and the heavy fly it's going to ride underneath you know underneath the breaking waves so there's going to be constant tension on your line Mm -hmm. if you try it with a floating line it's just going to be thrown all over the place by the waves Mm -hmm. there's going to be slack in your line and you're probably not going to feel as many strikes as you do with that more direct connection with an intermediate line and a heavy fly
0: Oh, there you go. So that's the reason yeah, the intermediate line just cuts enough. So it gets below that. The top exactly, so is not yeah. floating. And what's the intermediate? Cause I always think, I know, mean, I always think still water when I think intermediate lines, what would be the line? If we were get, coming in your shop right now and you're going to set us up uh, with a, uh, you know, all the gear to go right now, what, what would, what would the line be?
2: Probably either like the coastal quick shooter from Rio or like an intermediate outbound short, something with a pretty heavy front taper that's going to turn over that fly with the big lead eyes.
0: Okay. Right. Right. You want the, yep. That, that nice taper. And then, and you said, so nine foot, whatever, just your five weight, your normal trout rod. That's all we're doing here.
2: Yeah. I'll usually fish the seven weight just cause I like casting that rod. And if I happen to do run into something bigger, I'm not going to be undergunned. Oh, right. And those perch are still a ton of fun on a seven. Weight. So you like this. I was just talking
0: to somebody the other day about that. We were saying, and I was saying like, well, if I had to pick my series, it would be like, Four four six eight, right? As opposed to five seven nine. Do yeah, you an even there's... number and
2: odd number, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, exactly.
0: It doesn't really matter, does it? It's just whatever you find. Probably all the rods are different depending on your manufacturer as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, my seven weight I probably fish more than any other rod around here. It's just yeah. it's super capable. It's delicate enough that small fish are fun, but it'll still have some backbone if I happen right. to look into a salmon or a link cod or something like that
0: exactly yeah that's the thing if you if you had a six weight yeah you wouldn't be doing well with the salmon but an eight weight can be a little bit i don't know yeah eight weight is a little bit heavier
2: yeah
1: a little bit much for cutthroat but uh yeah i'd say you know if you're um if you're fishing a single hander around this area, uh, I'd say your best choice would be either, uh, a 10 foot rod, either a six or seven weight. Um, you know, as far as single handers go for the beaches uh, and the rivers in this area, that 10 foot six or seven weight is going to be your, uh, your go to.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Rare Gear, not only making telescoping fly rods, but rethinking the whole fly fishing kit as you think about traveling lighter, faster, and better. This rod is a blend of traditional and Tenkara styles to make what you might call the perfect all-around travel rod. It fits into almost any bag and literally will fit in the back pocket of your pants. Rare Gear also has folding nets, compact weighting booties, and, and the telescoping rod to put the full kit together, so whatever you need if you're traveling around the country, around the world, you can always have your rod handy and you never have to worry about forgetting about it. Rare Gear is innovating uh, the fly fishing space to help hikers, bikers, and multi-sport enthusiasts get out on the next adventure. You can head over to raregear.com right now to check out this unbelievably unique rod and uh, find out what it's all about. You gotta take a look right now. A rod without guides, telescoping, this is a unique mixture that you've gotta have a check for yourself. That's rare. R-E-Y-R-Gear.com. Check it out. So you support this podcast by clicking through that link over to Rare Gear. You guys have started this off really awesome. This is you've painted the, the perfect picture. I mean, I think that uh, you know, people listening right now, I think getting things set up, it sounds like it's pretty easy. The the intermediate line might be a line that maybe not everybody has, you know, in their arsenal necessarily, but that's a pretty easy thing to grab.
1: Um, yeah. And even if you don't have an intermediate line, you know, as long as your flies are pretty heavy, uh, you can always just lengthen your leader and it will, uh, you know, effectively work as an intermediate line. It won't be as fun to cast. Uh, but, you know, if you got some, some, just some longer mono uh, or especially fluorocarbon, cause it sinks uh, quite a bit faster than mono those uh, you can make that work too. Uh, just like I said, it won't be as fun to cast as an intermediate line with like a five or six foot leader. <laughs> right 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 so that's
0: it yeah so you could you do that as well so let's take it to. so you got the rod you got the the um the line and just break us down the leader real quick does that is that pretty standard not not too big of a deal uh
1: yeah i mean you can just use a straight piece of maxima uh they're not leader shy at all you could use 20 pound test if you want i'll uh, usually use uh like i don't
2: know 10 pound you know usually just fish whatever leader happens to be on my line at the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. it will generally
2: be like seven feet of three X or something like that. Just cause it's a pretty standard go-to leader for most things around here for me, at least.
0: Perfect. Okay. So you could use 10 pound or whatever, and then fly wise size and things like that. What are we looking at here? As far as, uh, you know, could you just buy one, one pattern, get the, whatever, you know, saltwater pattern. Yeah, and-
2: There's, there's a couple there. Uh, we do a, like a version of Bob's surf fly. We have a, a tying video up on our YouTube page about it. It's my favorite surf perch fly. Oh, perfect. Or you can use like a root beer clouser or any sort of like heavy lead eye, like shrimp or crab pattern anywhere from a size two to an eight. People kind of assume I'm, they have small little mouths, but the red tail surf perch here, they can, they can take a big fly and they will.
0: Okay. So good. So two to eight, that, that gets us in that range and the lead, the lead eyes. And that's mainly the, the way just throw on a nice big lead eye and, and then just everything else is normal with the fly
2: yeah and usually like lead eyes over a cone or a bead just because it'll make it right hook point up so it's not digging through the sand and dulling your hook
0: okay and and where's the youtube channel where can we find if we want to dig in it sounds like you guys have a few videos there
2: yeah it's just waters west fly shop on youtube perfect and it was a it was inactive for a number of years but we started to get back on it
0: yep that's it. No, that's a great resource. The YouTube is uh, I'll definitely add some of those uh, grab a couple of videos for the show notes. And uh, yeah, what else should we be thinking about here? Sounds like we've kind of run through the the standard stuff. Are there any other as far as wind to go, uh you know, as far like, you know, cloudy, sunny, uh things like that, is there anything else we should be thinking about?
2: I haven't really noticed much of a difference as far as fishing productivity whether it's cloudy or sunny, I think. It's just a matter of finding where they're schooling and you're good to go especially like in springtime when it's you know pre-spawn they're just feeding like crazy and they're aggressive and they're out there It can get a little trickier you know and a little bit of the off season you have to work a little bit harder but okay you know i still think like earlier in the morning or later in the evening just like with most fishing is going to be a better time of day
0: yeah yep so you want to get going so early as opposed to the sun straight up ahead well i guess you guys are in a place where you don't see the sun that often right
2: uh, not in the springtime. Yeah. There's, you know, a week or two in July and August where there's some sun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it got over a hundred degrees here last summer. Oh, wow. That was horrible. That was awful. Yeah. Damn. Especially being in a shop with no AC. <laughs> right. And you guys did, did you get any
0: fires through that area?
1: Uh, yeah, we got quite a few fires. Wow. Uh, there was a, there was a, a pretty big one uh, actually right on Lake Crescent. Um That was pretty scary, but luckily they took care of that pretty quickly. Uh, But uh, yeah, you know, it's like a few years ago and they had all those fires in B.C. Yeah, Uh, The sky was just red here for 70. uh, Yeah, it looked like an apocalypse movie. Yeah, it was uh, not fun. No kidding.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's one of the advantages. You look at all the stuff that's going on. It seems like the fires are just becoming normal and that smoke, you know, especially on the east side. But that's the cool thing about the coast—is you are probably in one of the best place for places to be for climate change. If you think about that, right, long term.
2: Yeah, we're we're pretty well protected until the big tsunami does come. That's right. <laughs> we're probably hundred yards from the water where the shop is. Right. Like you look out the front door and it's just the straight of one Fuca.
0: That's right. And we have. Uh, do you guys have a good feel for when that next tsunami is going to hit?
2: Um. Uh, when my knee <laughs> starts hurting, I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We feel it in yeah. our bones.
0: Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's 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 an interesting world with everything that's going on. Sometimes you're sitting there like, wow, this is and that's again why fishing, you know, I mean, like what we're talking about is so important, you know, to get out there and get a day on the water to take some of the you know, not think about some of that other bigger stuff going on. But um Yeah.
2: And that's another good thing with like the surf birch fishery. It's it's fairly casual. You don't have to dedicate like an entire day to it. You can go mm-hmm. before or after work and fish for a couple hours and Catch a handful of fish and have a great time, yeah. and like depending on if it's something you're into, like you're able to harvest ten of them a day year round. Oh wow! And so there you they go. make great fish tacos. You can oh, pan perfect. fry them; they're great eating fish.
0: So that's it. So there's another bonus. So you actually, unlike, uh, you know, some of the other species we were talking about, right. Steelhead cutthroat. I mean, literally you can get some stuff for the dinner and the, the wife uh, won't complain, right. For not exactly. (laughs) Not like,
2: Oh, you didn't bring home fish again. Why are you even fishing? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And another cool thing, like if you catch one, you're pretty much guaranteed to catch more. So you don't have to worry about like killing a surf perch and then like, Oh, I just have this one fish. Like there's going to be a school there. You're going to catch enough to make a proper meal out of.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. So once you hit one, you likely know that... What's going on? Once you find a fish, you're probably in an area where the where the, the current and the thing the, is constantly creating that divot in that area. Is that what's going on?
2: And they, they school up. Mm. So you're going to be casting to a school. There was a time where we went out, and I think there was four of us fishing, and almost every other minute, like all of us had one on at the same time.
1: Wow. Yeah, it was we just, were getting
2: double-doubles.
1: Yeah. And it was quadruples.
2: Just, and we were all just like... Huh laughing our asses off the whole time oh. just having the best time that is so, it was so cool. much fun just ear-to-ear smiles across the beach just like i can't believe more people don't do this this is amazing
0: right so that's the thing so and there aren't uh, like a ton of people out there doing this i mean you don't you hardly ever see anybody with a fly rod on the beach
2: no especially on the peninsula like further down like the eastern or the western coast of washington it's it's a pretty popular fishery for gear guys with like their big surf rods and pyramid weights throwing big yeah. giant gulp worms and
0: is that what they're doing are those guys going for surf perch too
2: yeah yeah and it's really yeah. popular in oregon and california like a lot of people fish down by the golden gate bridge for surf perch but i think those are different species and the red tail surf perch up here get quite a bit bigger than like the striped perch they're catching down there i think the record here in washington is four pounds which if you've seen a surf perch and you can picture one four pounds like that's a big fish
0: yeah it's like a giant big fat football
2: Yeah, and they're that big broadsides like panfish. So, like, once you hook them and then that surf is pushing it out, there's it's a lot of fun. Oh, so there's a fight.
0: There's a fight fight there.
2: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. They've got that kind of uh,
1: like panfish shape to them. You know, they've got a very oval. so even, mm-hmm. even though they don't get very long, like I think that four pound fish was maybe 16 inches long, oh, wow! Uh, but they get really, uh, like really tall. So because of the shape of their body, they can really like lean into the, the current and the water. And, uh, you know, you'll catch a little fish that, that feels like it's much, much bigger.
0: Huh? There you go. And then, uh, and how long, so taking you a few minutes to get
1: one of these little guys in
2: depending on your leader, if you're fishing a pretty heavy leader, you can just kind of pull them through the breakers and.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can just yard them in if you want to.
2: Yeah. Or you can have fun with it and play them out for a little while. It's personal preference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. gotcha. Okay. This, this is
0: great. And are you also using uh, a stripping basket at all? Or is it sounds like with short lines, you don't really need it?
2: It depends. Like if it's one of those beaches where you actually have to wade out a little ways, a stripping basket's definitely helpful, but there's a couple beaches that we fished where we're not even waiting. We're just, you know, barefoot on the beach, casting it out and don't really need a stripping basket
0: gotcha so you don't necessarily even have to have uh, waiters or you can just kind of go out there in your sandals
2: yeah
1: uh yeah absolutely you know like me personally uh the only times I will d- uh, go and do it is if I can go barefoot and in shorts huh. um uh to do it cuz i spend plenty of time freezing during the winter time uh so you know yeah. when I go do it, it's it's kind of like uh like a vacation from the vacation <laughs> yeah Love this. So, you wait for
0: a day when you've got some nice weather, either a nice morning or nice uh, warm, one of those warmer days in the afternoon, and then go for it. Yeah, exactly. bring a
2: cooler of beer and catch a handful of surfers and just have a good time.
0: <laughs> and can you, I mean, you said obviously mornings nights are better, but could you, you catch them throughout the whole day too?
2: Yeah, I mean, just depending on the tide.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, just that,
2: I'd
1: that say that, you know, the, like the morning, evening, low light thing would be uh, probably your better chance at catching uh, like a really big one. As it is with most fish, uh, but really, just as long as you're there to, during the right tide, uh, you can always catch some fish.
0: Yeah. What do you guys like for um, a reel? What do you use? What's your if you had to match something up with kind of a you know something for salt, but more of the trout size?
2: Um, I usually use like a Lamson Guru. Yeah. It's just pretty much bulletproof. Yeah. Steel drag, just you know, just like any other thing. After you fish salt, just give it a quick rinse in fresh water. There but i haven't know. had any problems they've always been been great
0: that's it yeah no i'm glad you mentioned lamps and nick uh nick's a good guy uh we uh we're hopefully doing a trip uh this fall so we're gonna get some of that hopefully some of that lamps again i think they, they're in the, they got some rods going now too so
2: they do yeah yeah the, some of the rods they've been making are fantastic too yeah i, I actually use a uh a lamps and rod for
1: uh for surf birch fishing um you know, not, not for any real reason. It's just what I had, but, uh, yeah, it worked great.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. This is going to be great. I'll, I'll let Nick know. I'll give Nick a heads up on this episode. He's going to, he's going to love this. In fact, that would be, uh, I'm hoping to get out and do some of this as well. So what else are we missing here? I, am I'm, I'm sure we're, we're not anything else as far as kind of the, the tips and tricks or, it, it, you know, it sounds pretty straightforward, but anything else you want to add here?
1: Um, well, there is something I, I, I just got to mention, cause I think it's so cool about these fish. Um, uh, one of the uh, just unique fit, not really uh, you know like fishing for them wise but just like a fact about surf birch mm-hmm. is that they, um, they actually give live birth oh wow uh, So they don't go and uh, say like salmon and steelhead that they go and dig a nest and lay their eggs and then, uh, you know, get fertilized there in the nest. Uh, Surf birch actually uh, give live birth. Like the babies just come right out of the mom swimming. And uh, because the surf birch are so uh, so voracious and so aggressive, they actually have to go and spawn in kind of grassy areas. Uh, like those like eelgrass flats and that, oh, that yeah. kind of area. Uh, so the babies have a chance to hide yep. from the mom because otherwise, uh, you know, the mom will uh, pop them out and then just turn right around and eat them. Uh, so they have to go into these grassy areas where the the, uh, the babies can hide from mom. And I just think that's just so fascinating. You know, it's just one it of those is. things about nature. That's uh, just really neat. Dang. Yeah, that is, that is really cool. So, and then, but you said the
0: spawning um, and you mentioned, so the springtime is a good time, that's also the time when they're out there. so are you are you fishing near around some of these beds or kind of kind of wait until they're how's that look?
1: um no, we don't we don't really fish around, you know like you said, it's just completely sandy beaches, uh no rocks, no grass, no anything so we're, we're not really uh, fishing where they spawn it's uh, it's more where they're just hanging out
0: and feeding. Gotcha, gotcha. So do you so you don't even see these spawning areas you, you don't see them nearby. they must be like in just other areas.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, if if you like, usually in the beaches where you do find them, if you, if you walk walk uh, away down, you you'll eventually find some of those grassy areas. That's it. Nice. Well, that
0: is a good fun fact. That is a you know obviously the diversity right of of fish is is pretty crazy. So you got these fish that are popping out. And what is the so when those baby? How big are is a is a brand new a new baby a newborn?
1: Um, they're probably I'd say like an inch, inch and a half.
0: Yeah, inch and a half. Yeah, so a little guy. So and, uh, and how old are the fish? So if you catch one of these, well, that 16-inch fish, how old is that fish? Any idea?
2: Um, I don't. Know. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head. I'm not yeah. sure yeah. what the lifespan of a surf perch is.
0: Yeah, totally. We'll, we'll get a little, I'll put a, a little link in. I'll get Dom to throw a, um, some you know, life history stuff.
2: If you are fishing kind of near those eelgrass flats, that's a good place to try and catch some flounder too. Mm, there you go. Especially like on the edges where it transitions into the sand, they'll kind of lie there and wait for things to come out of the eelgrass and ambush it.
0: Oh wow. And you can target though, you can target flounder.
2: Oh yeah, starry flounder.
0: Yeah. What what's that look like? Just take us there a little bit. Are you using the same same gear?
2: It's very similar. Like you can get away with just like a chartreuse and white clauser minnow and just mm-hmm. let it sink longer than you think you should. Like uh uh-huh. it, it helps if you get a tangle in your line and then untangle it and then strip it in. It'll be in the right, in the right spot. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, right, that's the that's thing. And, and so chartreuse and white or whatever, there's, that's a good, that's the color combo. Yeah.
2: Or blue and white, pink and white, yeah. any sort of like, kind it, of. It's, it's probably more the, the
1: Clouser aspect of it than the color. Yeah. What is the, what is the Clouser aspect?
0: Describe that for somebody who doesn't have one of those, the Clouser versus, you know, um, the deceiver and the other ones. How, why is the Clouser different and, or better?
1: Um, well, I'd say it's mainly the lead eyes, uh, the lead eyes and, uh, you know, like a properly tied clouser is going to be really sparse. Uh, so it's going to sink really quickly that, you know, the sparseness plus the lead eyes, it'll just get it, um, closer to where the, those flounder will be. And, uh, they just, they seem to like, it. you know, they clearly eat, uh, some kind of, uh, small bait fish. So, it's and just a-
2: the profile of a clouser man is hard to beat. I mean, <clears throat> it's a proven pattern for a reason. Pretty much anything that swims will eat a clouser at some point.
1: Yeah, pretty it's it's probably got to be one of the uh most uh, one of the flies that's got the most different species out of the, other than the you know probably the woolly bugger. Right. It's exactly. Yeah, you got the woolly bugger and the is the well definitely
0: the leader in the salt, right? You got the woolly bugger for fresh salt and the other one for for salt.
2: Yeah. I mean don't be afraid to fish a woolly bugger in the salt. It works just fine.
0: Okay, there you go. Yeah, it probably works good for trout cutthroat.
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially a white one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So, uh, this is nice in the clouser. We haven't had a uh, Bob uh, on yet, but I'm hoping to track him down. Uh, and, and we'll dig it. What would be a question you guys, if, if we had, uh, I'm not sure if you've met him before, but what would be a question you might ask him, um, if you could talk to him about that fly?
2: Um, maybe what most people do wrong when they tie a clouser minnow. Oh. So I've heard stories of him being at like tying demonstrations and someone's tying a Clouser and he'll ask a question. And they'll be like, well, this is how it's tied. He's like, well, actually <laughs> you're yeah. wrong. Cause I invented this fly.
0: That's right.
2: I think people just try and add too much to it. It does it's, it takes very little and like the less bucktail you put on, the more chance that material is going to have to move in the water.
0: Okay. So what is the, bu- so bucktail, what would be the most, um, uh, Kind of sparse. Are we talking? You know, how many strands of bucktail could you potentially, at the minimum, put on there?
2: Um, well, we have a pattern that uh, Doug Rose invented back in the day for cutthroat fishing called the the Ketta Rose or the Ketta Clouser, and it has maybe ten strands of each color, top and bottom, and like a yep. little bit of crystal flash. It's incredibly flash. sparse and just represents like a chum fry or a small sand lance or candlefish, like perfectly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and is is crystal flash always having a couple strands? Is that always a good thing to throw in there?
2: Yeah, just like one on each side, just to add a little bit of attention grabbing aspect to yeah. it. That's it.
0: And what are the hooks wise? What do you guys like to use for your hooks?
2: SC fifteen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you definitely want a uh, you know like a stainless steel saltwater hook. Mm-hmm. Um, just just so you get a little bit more life out of them, but um, it doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, you know, like the. Same kind of hook that you'd use for a clouser. um yeah. It's like a, a SC yeah, like fifteen. Yeah, a C fifteen, like a size four, size like, four. Yeah, just a, you know, like a Daiichi version, uh, whatever the number is, I forget. um yeah.
2: the RX has the new Bob clouser signature hook too, which can't go wrong time on that since it's his hook. Uh huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Shout out the RX hooks. Those hooks are awesome. Who makes that?
2: RX.
0: Oh RX, there you go. So that's the RX. Yeah, I'm not familiar with those. Okay, so no, well, yeah, well consider-
1: it's RX or A I'm not sure. Oh, A oh, oh, yeah Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's RX, RX. RX. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, the, the H in there just uh, scrambled my brain. I don't
0: know. No, gotcha. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, wait, that's a new brand. No, I'm trying to think. You know, obviously we've done a few of these. I'm always like, okay, I'm trying to think of the past episodes we've had on, and um, yeah, we, we had uh, we we did one of that those episodes,
2: and uh, their saltwater minnow hook has been one of our new favorites for like cutthroat and perch flies or any sort of saltwater streamer okay
0: all right perfect yeah and it was uh yeah back to episode 150 um uh, morton was on who who founded a rex and he he broke down um yeah that's a good story they're obviously over in europe Uh, so it's it's pretty cool do you guys find the stuff the gear in your shop that you guys have um how does that look is it um, you know describe that world a little bit how how do you find a a new product how do you decide what what rods to carry in there and and what and things like that
1: uh so the the number one thing we um we uh, look at uh when we decide to carry a product is uh would we personally use this and if we do use it is it um you know is it something that we re- would recommend as uh to somebody you know like this uh thing that you'll see in in some other um Uh, fishing retailers it's uh, you end up with a lot of like gimmicky stuff a lot of just like stuff just to sell you know like some places will have dog beds and like right more like a gift shop yeah coasters and whatnot and we really try to focus on just stuff for fishing like we do have some apparel but it's all you know it's either like uh layering or uh, sun shirts it's like it's all Just things that'll help you fish better. There's utilitarian. We we don't have any homewares. We don't have any of that kind of stuff. It's just fishing gear. Yeah, we fish a
2: lot, and a lot of our customers fish a lot. So we just sell things that cater to those people that want something they can go out with and absolutely trust that won't fail, that'll last.
0: Yeah, that's right. So you're not doing. You don't have all the fluff, and it's. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a smart move, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting because we've talked about this quite a bit, you know, the fact that it's, I'm assuming that the places that are doing selling some of that other stuff is just trying to hit the bigger market, right? Because fly fishing.
2: Yeah. You know, and like you see a lot of times now, like the quote unquote evolution of fly tying, everything's just starting to look more like a jig and it's getting away from right. like actual traditional fly tying and we kind of keep it more on the traditional side like yeah. classic patterns, classic materials, things that are time tested, things that are proven, not these new fancy kind of gimmicky things. I mean, they do work, but we stick with the things that we know, we know work and feel good about selling people.
0: Do you guys have like, I mean, all the Euro stuff or are you guys, is that something you have in there?
2: No, no, no.
0: So no Euro. So no nymphs, no, none of that. You guys don't do any of that.
2: It's not really an applicable thing around here. Like if you, I mean, you can, you're on the rivers here, but you're just going to be catching like salmon and steelhead smolt. And we try oh, and avoid right. as many encounters with those fish as we can.
0: Right, right. That's the, and again, for the people that don't know, you guys are on the West side and you have to go over to the, across the mountains really to get to where the trout fishing, you got a lot of bug life, right? And then the, then that would probably be a much more effective method to catch big trout.
1: Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like the way that most of our rivers here, uh, just the ecology of them works out, there's not a whole lot of uh, bug life and uh, food in the rivers for the fish. And that's why, uh, you know, like um, most of our rainbow trout uh, end up going out to the ocean and becoming steelhead because there's not enough uh, food in the rivers to to support them.
2: And the, like the resident trout we do have are incredibly aggressive and very predatory. So either like a big fluffy dry fly or a streamer like i can't remember the last time i even fished in them at all
0: Mm, that's sweet so you're doing everything so you're kind of like a lot of swinging flies and things like that
2: yeah swinging flies stripping streamers fishing like you know size 8 10
0: stimulators right right and is, is cutthroat we haven't touched on that yet uh fully but what like if you're out there doing the surf perch thing, could you just kind of bring another rod and then uh, target some cutthroat? How does that look? Because I know we've had at least one episode where we talked about that a little bit. But
2: the structure you want for a cutthroat beach is quite a bit different than a surf perch beach. There is some crossover. Like there's a handful of beaches here that I know have both, and we've caught cutthroat and perch off the same same beach, same fly. And it's a pretty pretty similar setup. You might just want to switch your fly out a little bit, but. Okay. But, yeah, generally, like with the cutthroat, you're going to want a rocky, structured beach with places for them to kind of hide down and ambush. Yeah. As opposed to the surf perch, which just cruise in those sandy troughs waiting for food to be brought to them. I think the cutthroat are more searching and actually like more hunting. Yeah, definitely move
0: around
1: more than the surf perch do.
2: Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So. So that's a good tip on the cutties. And are you guys for cutthroat? Are you also fishing just as much up in the rivers as you are down in the surf? Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: And like a lot of times, like last summer, I was saying there was that big heat spell and some of the rivers closed and just got so low and so warm. I pretty much strictly fished beaches for sea run cutthroat and had an absolute great time. And it was a pink year, so I was able to pick up some salmon off the beach too. Oh, really?
0: Yes. What is the the pink is the, um, how, how does that work on the time every two years?
2: Yeah, every other area yeah, every odd year every odd year
0: yep see so, yeah. and and what's the pink so you're out there
2: and are people targeting those oh, um, yeah. oh yeah for sure not so much on the peninsula once you get more like the port Townsend area there's a couple beaches there or uh like the hood canal and puget sound i don't think a lot of people realize that you can stay on the peninsula and still catch salmon off the beach yeah it's I'd right. it's it's a bit more hit or miss
1: uh you know say like the um the beach fishing here on the, on the Strait on the North peninsula, um, it's a little bit more hit and miss than it, say, it would we say in the impuge Sound or itself or the Hood <laughs> Canal. Uh, Cause the fish tend to migrate quite a bit more. Uh, but uh, you do typically catch bigger cutthroat on these beaches than you would over there.
0: And how big, what's a big, what would be a nice big cutthroat? 20 inches. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: we've seen some, uh, you know, yeah. we didn't catch them personally, but we've seen uh, some, you know, Upwards of 26 inches. Uh, Yeah, we know a guy that caught a 27-inch cutthroat. uh, Pretty pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, even in the rivers, we've seen some in the mid-20s. So they they do get pretty big. They're obviously really rare, you know. I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, like a 20-inch cutthroat, that's like a a lifetime fish.
0: Uh, But they are out there. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a, cause you know, you have in some areas, you have these cut bows. I wonder if a fish like that might be a, you know what I mean? Might be a mix between a steelhead and a cutthroat potentially.
1: Yeah, it could be. Um, we've also actually caught steelhead off the beaches here. Um, not very big ones, but we've caught some like 15, 16 inch uh, steelhead. And it's uh, it's pretty remarkable how much harder they fight uh, than the cutthroat do. Huh. Uh, there was one day uh, a couple of years ago, we we're out there fishing and uh, you know, we we're having a pretty good day of cutthroat uh you know nothing huge you know some like 15 16 inch cutthroat and then hooked into this one that was the exact same size as all the cutthroat but it was just it, you know it jumped six feet out of the water it was tail walking it was Damn. just going completely berserk much more than any other cutthroat that day and then we get it in and it ended up being a, a rainbow trout or a steelhead because it was in the salt saltwater uh, how big was it Uh, it's maybe 16 inches it's not a huge, it was like a little, like a yeah, just a
0: whatever, it was just on its way out or who knows. First year out in the salt,
2: yeah, it's
1: something like that, but
2: it definitely had uh, something to prove, yeah.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow, that's so cool, yeah. My uh buddy, uh, shout out to Joe Kalbrenner, uh, old buddy, he's uh, a fishing fool, and he uh, he just sent me some photos of some bonefish. He was up in Hawaii uh, off of uh, Oahu. And, uh, he's like, dude, this is amazing. And, and I was like, well, so how does that compare to those steelhead we usually catch? And he's like, he's like, man, you know, the bonefish are stripping off your backing, but tell you what, man, that fish, that steelhead jumping, that's it's, that's what puts steelhead in the top. Right. I mean that, that whole thing. And you guys know a lot about that, right? You've, you've, you've hit the steelhead up until a couple last years where we had some struggles in the runs. Has
1: that been a focus for you guys?
2: yeah i mean that's
1: kind of our bread and butter yeah it it absolutely consumes every waking moment of my life
0: (laughs) (laughs) today's episode is sponsored by jackson hole fly company they've been manufacturing fly fishing equipment since 1978 in their home base in wyoming in 2022 they launched jhflyco.com and started selling gear directly to anglers all over the country They've got a huge selection of fly rods, reels, lines, tools and lots of fly fishing and fly tying products and patterns. I was out up in Camloops fishing and my rod, my dry fly setup, my nymph setup indicator on the stillwaters was the Jackson Hole 5 weight. This thing was awesome. It had it came with uh, basically the whole setup, the fly rod, the reel, the line, everything. It's a really clean Super nice uh, setup, and it casts uh, very nice as well. Uh, the reel was deadly silent, but the drag was smooth. Uh, the rod cast great, and I was kind of shooting some bigger stuff, and and it was good on the still rod. So I got to say, this was a good indicator setup. If you're looking for that, definitely check this one out. You can get free shipping right now on all orders over fifty dollars, and you can also get twenty five percent off your first order. Just go to jhflyco.com swing to get started right now. And if you want to check out that raw, this is the uh, Yellowstone 2 that I had. If you want to check this one out, I used it uh, used it for the first time uh, actually on Stillwater. I'm going to be using it uh, quite a bit more now that I'm getting my Stillwater uh, swing back on. Check it out right now, jhflyco.com swing to get 25% off. Okay, back to the show. Going back to your story, you know, obviously you moved up here for the the, the steelhead, Steelhead. (laughs) right? Yeah, Yeah, for the steelhead. So how does that just take us there for a moment? So you have this situation where the runs have, you know, have gone down to the bottom, you know, and literally closures are happening, right? And how does that, first, how does that feel? How does that look for you? And then then how do you look out? How do you stay positive and all that?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It was, uh, when the closures first started happening, it, it was a very depressing, you know, it's got a pretty serious depressive episode because of it and just kind of, uh, hopelessness and, uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking, yep. <laughs> <Yeah. So> I- <laughs> but, uh, you know, kind of gotten over that and just trying to, um, make the best of things. And, uh, you know, as far as, uh, staying hopeful, uh, I can't answer that one. I'm still working on that. Uh, but, uh, definitely, uh, you know, especially this, this, uh, year when it got closed much earlier than usual and just uh, exploring all these other fisheries and all the other options that are available in the spring that I usually don't do because I focus on the steelhead so much. Uh, and that's kind of kept it interesting. And then, you know, it's just, uh, you know, ultimately just accepting that it's, there's not much that I personally can do about it besides, uh, you know, just, yeah, trying yeah. to advocate as much as I can and, uh, you know, telling people that if they do choose to fish for them and they do catch one to uh, treat it with care, you know, keep them in the water, let them breathe and just try to take as as, um, yeah, yeah. as care of them as you can. And, and if, you know, if you find that you get really good at catching them, then, uh, you know, fish a, di- a more difficult method, you know, if you're out there catching 10 a day, then maybe try to make it harder for yourself, uh, you know, do something different um, and that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: totally. So they're so they've been closed now a, a couple years. Here is it kind of as you look out, you, you don't quite know, right? Every year it's, it's just depending, and um, you know, any thoughts there? I know we had a I'll highlight the John McMillan episode, which was way back um, in one seventeen, but he did kind of a summer. This was before I think the closures because this would have been well, this would have been January twenty twenty one, so probably right when things were kind of starting to tank a little bit.
1: Yeah, it was, it was, uh, definitely, uh, 2021. So we had a 2020, we had an early closure because of uh, COVID, um, you know, um, because of the pandemic, they, sh- they shut down just all fishing in the state. Oh, right. Uh, so that was our first early closure. And wow. then, uh, last year there, um, it was the first one that was because of the low, uh, low run numbers. And then we had it again this year. Um, God. So here's the question. I usually don't get too, uh,
0: too deep down this road, but this is interesting to me because, again, it's like I think of my uh, a little bit on my family, right? with my kids. And when I was a kid, the, the two th- biggest things that scared me were um, actually, it's funny because you guys are right near it, but uh, Mount St. Helens, uh, you know, I was old enough to see that, right? Barely, I kind of remember that. But I was always worried about like Mount Hood blowing up and, and take, being wiped out by a volcano or nuclear holocaust because of Russia.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Those are my two biggest fears always, and then and then <laughs> now that we're went away. That. What's that?
1: <laughs> and now we're back to the well, that's uh, worrying my about. So, so as you yeah. look at
0: this. Now we have now we have um, we have th- these. Well, and we could add one. So we got we got this uh, COVID. So we got we got this worldwide pandemic, and we have uh, potentially this nuclear thing. I don't even know that. And now we add steelhead closures. So <laughs> how do you? And that whole thing, how do you stay, uh, what's your take on it, And Again, back to you, what, what's your, you know, how do you stay positive, uh, take away the drinking and all that stuff, you know, what, what's your, what would be your optimistic view of this? And, and um, is the world ending?
1: <laughs> well, um, you know, the, the the world is ending, the sun will eventually explode and eat us all, so uh, right. and, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, like one of the things that I see here in the shop, you know, all the people that we talk to and, uh, you know, we obviously get a lot of older customers. We get customers in their 70s or 80s. And, um, and you just you pretty much see that uh, that life is a is a finite thing and you no, nobody's going to be around forever. Yeah. So you really just got to try and uh, find what you like and make the best of it and, uh, you know, try to spend your time doing things that you enjoy with people that you enjoy. And then, uh, you know, just try to live the best life that you can. And that way if the bombs do start flying or the ocean boils or whatever happens, then, yeah. um, you know, at least you made the best of it because we're only here for so long and then, um, you know, then who knows what happens people got all kinds of different ideas. Um, I, uh, so yeah. Uh, you know, it's like the number one thing that, uh, you know customers in their 70s and 80s tell me is uh, never get old <laughs> never <laughs> get old the number one thing i get told here in the shop is never get old right and, you know thinking about um you know just how how i wake up feeling in the morning and everything hurts uh just from a you know a lifetime of um falling down i used to be uh, um very into uh freestyle BMX. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, like doing backflips and all that And Like doing tabletops stuff. and stuff. Tabletops, uh, backflips, whips, oh, all that stuff. So, that. Uh, you know, I've knocked my teeth out uh, many times, broken all kinds of bones. Um, my foot goes numb sometimes. Uh, so it's just like I already wake up in pain Damn. every day. And uh, just wow. thinking about what, how my body's going to feel 20 years from now, I definitely uh, – you know, it uh, it just motivates me to uh, try and get after the things I want to do, because I know there's going to come a day where I can't, you know, go to the river at three in the morning and hike for an hour in the dark to get to my spot and then fish for three hours and That's then right. drive back to the shop to work. Uh, you know, there's going to be a day when my body's just not going to be up for it. So now I'm trying to do it as yeah. much as I can while I can. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I, you
0: know, the, <laughs> I have to go back to the tabletop because this is obviously a deep conversation, but, um, I was just described to my kid, uh, you know, about like the tabletop. And the funny thing is, is like, I have no skills with the BMX bike. Right. So I could, I've never done a tabletop in my life, but I was showing her describing what it is because I know what it is. Right. Um, so you were doing, I mean, that's, that's nuts. Like you were going off these, like what, like 30 feet in the air, stuff like that.
1: Uh, yeah, I never went 30 feet in the air, but, uh, yeah, we're definitely getting up there, you know, 10, 12 feet. And, uh, if, yeah. you, if you're lucky and good, you land wheel side down, but every once in a while you land face side down and, uh, <laughs> oh. you know, I had a knee reconstruction <laughs> that, that was kind of what the end of my uh, BMX career was when I uh, blew my knee out. I, um, you know, yeah. fell off a ramp, uh, it was probably, you know, 10, 12 feet in the air and then, uh, landed, uh, actually on my feet. And, uh, one of my knees bent the right way. And then the other one bent, uh, the opposite way it's supposed to go kind of like a flamingo. And then that, that yeah. was kind of the end, the end of that. Uh, cause it was, it's a pretty, you know, like surgeries and a pretty lengthy recovery. And then I was, you know, I couldn't go right. through that that's... again. So that, that was kind of the
0: uh, no. curtains on that. That was it. Yep. The BMX that's, that is a hardcore stuff. Right on. Well, that was a, uh, definitely a good, thanks for taking, taking us down that tangent. Um, you know, I mean, back back to the serious stuff, you know, obviously you know things were were hopeful, and that's where I was going with John McMillan is that when I asked him in that episode, he gave us kind of a summary of the steelhead, right, kind of how we're looking and his take on it and and he kind of compared it to, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but you know, in the early 90s, there was a big uh, downfall as well, same oh, yeah. thing and it, and it hit low, it hit some serious lows, but then it recovered slowly and over time. And then you got up into the, the two thousands and numbers were pretty crazy. There were a lot of steel returning. And then, so you got these natural cycles, but the big X factor, I think a lot of people talk about is potentially the climate change, maybe the X factor that we don't know, right. How that's going to play in. But, um, I think John was still positive. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave this as a positive thing and think that it's just a matter of time. We're going to slowly kind of climb out of this, you know what I mean? And, and keep doing, uh, like you guys said, keep supporting, you know, the good groups.
1: Yeah. I mean, if
2: you can find, you know, a good advocate group, that you feel is like pushing in the right direction, do whatever you can to support them. You know, like one person can't really change anything, but if you get enough like-minded people with the same goal in mind, like change is possible. It's just sometimes you got to sacrifice things to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we actually, um, you know, John's a really good friend of ours. We, we, he comes oh, in here quite a bit. He's actually one of my one oh, of my cool. closest friends. Uh, so we do right talk on. at length about this. And it's uh yeah, there's just so many factors uh, you know affecting the fish. Um that it's um you know, it's really hard to narrow it down to it's just one thing that's affecting this. Yeah. And then it's uh you know, like ultimately it can happen. Uh, that's something we talk about. It's like, it could happen that one year just, it turns around and, uh, you know, say the ocean cooled down or the, you know, I got a little less acidic or, you know, whatever one of the many thousands of factors could be, uh, mm-hmm. just gets a little better. And all of a sudden you get way more fish. It has happened before. It could happen again. Uh, you know, here in the peninsula, we're lucky that um, we still have really good habitat. Uh, so if, uh, if the fish do come back, they, you know, they have a place to go. Uh, which is not the case in a lot of the more developed areas Uh, you know, which it's one of the big issues over in Puget Sound. It's just so populated and so developed um, that the, uh, the habitat is pretty degraded, but over here, you know, um, all of the headwaters of all our rivers are inside the national park. So they don't get logged. They don't, uh, you know, a lot of them don't have road access. So it's all about as pristine as you can get in the lower 48. Right. So that is a, yeah, it's almost like a, um, I don't know if
0: that's a, uh well not a doublehead sword or whatever but it's i mean literally you've got the habitat which is the thing that a lot of places don't but it's scary because you're still getting impacted by the runs even though you've got the good habitat literally it is it is a uh, an ocean
1: condition is one of the big factors yeah absolutely and then you know you've got like the uh, the trawlers out in the ocean that are doing who knows all oh, right what. you still have that uh, yeah. and there's yeah. uh, you know there's been a, a huge increase in the demand for uh, for salmon row. There's a lot of countries that, uh, just in, in recent years kind of developed, a, uh, an affinity for sushi. Uh, so now there's just this huge increased demand that, and, you know, it's like, for example, if you go on, on uh, the Walmart website, you can buy uh, chum salmon caviar from Walmart, uh, online. Uh, so you can just imagine like the amount of harvest that is required to support all these kinds of things. So like, Walmart. you know, like I said, there's a thousand different variables affecting the, uh, the fish runs and, um. It's uh yeah, you, you can drive yourself crazy thinking about it, uh, but it's really, you know, it's like ultimately you can only uh you know, you can only control the things you can control. And if you uh you know get get upset about the things you can't really do anything about, yeah. then you're just gonna make yourself crazy. And that's
0: kind of the way I see the, like we said, the, the topics we had, you know, we had the, it's like the uh, volcano or the nuclear. It's like, man, I can't control uh, nuclear or whatever. I don't even know what's going on because I don't really keep, I almost kind of purposefully keep myself, you know what I mean? Ignorance like, is bliss. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Kind of, it, it is kind of because it's like, damn, I mean, I just... I don't want to like go back to having to like worry about that. Right. It's so it's just like, what can I do? What can we do? There's probably, I mean, I think with the salmon stuff, you know, there's probably some stuff we can do obviously, but that other stuff, there's not much we can do.
2: Yeah. I just try and keep a fly in the water as much as I can and keep my head down and not worry about things I can't really control. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, like you mentioned the, the nuclear Holocaust, like if if the bombs do start flying, then, you know, I'm grabbing my dog and I'm going fishing and then, uh, that's it you know we're gonna do that until we can't and uh that's all you can do i know
0: that's it that's it that's interesting yeah it's uh do you guys have uh do you guys have kids at all no just dogs just dogs there you go so that's that's the one thing for me the the that's where the x factor comes in a little bit because i'm like okay damn i gotta explain this to my kid
2: yeah
1: yeah that's that's uh that's a tough spot man definitely um yeah you gotta do what you can do
0: to protect the
2: future for your kid too
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the challenge is that all this stuff comes, comes back to this. Like, damn, yeah, you got, it's like, it's not just, if it was just us and it was like, okay, pff, who cares? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Exactly. Yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. Right. it's like, who cares? It's just one life to live, but it's like, it's, it's not ever that, but okay. Well, this is good. I, I we, we definitely got down the, uh, the dark uh, route a little bit here, but um, I want to bring it back to Surf Perch because we had a good conversation yeah. there. Yeah. Um. And, and this is awesome because I think from what we heard today is that literally Easily, you can just get with the gear you have, you could go out there and do it. And um,
2: and we even have like uh, rod and reel and line combos set up at the shop specifically for surf perch fishing. If you just oh, need you a do. quick setup, they're ready to go. Yeah. So it's
0: all, so if you got, you got, you can get your, your, like you said, the um, intermediate line, you can get the whole setup and just come in and grab it and go.
2: Yep. We have some 10 foot five weights with intermediate lines all set up and ready to go surf perch fishing. Okay. And is the 10 foot, would you recommend that over the nine foot? Yeah. Especially if you're fishing off the beach. It's just nice to have that extra bit of length.
0: Yep. So the ten foot, so ten and not but not eleven foot.
2: No, that's getting more near switch rod territory. I think the single yep. hander is gonna be a better bet. Yep.
0: So ten foot and like you said, ten foot uh five weight?
2: Yeah, that's what we have set up for the kids. It's just
0: yeah, ten foot five weight. Okay, so you got that, and then and then timing wise, you said springtime's good, but literally can you fish these guys year round?
2: Yep. Yeah, you can. And it's open year round too, and pretty much like all marine areas around here.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah and you haven't seen much of a change in uh surf perch numbers there can you it's been kind of, kind
1: of pretty steady
2: yeah i think I don't think they're in any danger <laughs> yeah not there's yet. uh you know there's
1: not a whole lot of people that uh that fish for them um you know if you go out to the beaches out west like Kalaylock and and over there um you will see some people fishing, um, but it's not, it doesn't get like, say like, you know, like salmon season where it's just shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, it's that definitely not a combat happen. fishery. No. And, and it's also because it, it is year round, they're available year round. So there's not that like opening day frenzy or like it just rained and everybody flocks to the right kind of thing. You know, it's just yeah, like, right. you can go whenever. Yeah. That's it. Whenever that's,
0: that's killer. And give me a, a, it sounds like you guys have some resource. I always like to dig into this just a little bit. Are there, you know, recommend anything for the surf perch specifically? There's probably not a ton out there. There's a lot of YouTube videos, but if somebody wanted to dig in deeper from this episode, where else would you send them?
2: There's a, there's a handful of good videos. And like most of the videos you're going to find are going to be about gear fishing for surf perch, but a lot of the tactics translate over. You just got to make, you know, your adjustments for fly fishing. But the most important thing you're going to take away from those videos is location and timing there's a handful of fly fishing surf videos and like we definitely plan on making one in the future to kind of give a more olympic peninsula specific guide to catching some surf birch
0: yeah that'd be a good one I'll, I'll definitely be waiting for that one that'll be awesome is and now as you get in now you're kind of coming into the you know it's june right and it's going to be july august when does the out there just the the tourism the camping and stuff when does that get really uh, hot and heavy when, when are people hitting it
2: it just started now. Now that all the the rivers opened up on the peninsula again, we're getting a ton of traffic from people coming over on the ferry from Victoria, mm-hmm. and probably by you know the end of June, July, Olympic National Park is going to be flocked with people and tourists. We get like well over a million park visitors a year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's and of that goes
2: yeah, and that goes all through like till like mid October.
0: Yeah, that's right. In a good year, you get the. Indian uh, summer or whatever you get a nice through October and then and then eventually things start getting back to the rainy season and it clears out.
2: Yeah, and then you know once December January rolls around, all the the steelhead people start coming out, and it gets just as crowded, but in a very different way.
0: So that's it. So December is the start of the steelhead. Yeah,
1: very early. early. So that's that's usually the start of the the hatchery steelhead season. Yeah. fish, more February March.
0: February, March. What would be your one if you had to pick one month for for the steelhead?
1: Do uh, you know that they're, they're all good? You you can. We've had amazing days uh, starting Thanksgiving all the way to uh, Tax Day. So it really is um, because the conditions change so quickly and so often here. It's it's it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, there, there might be times where the fishing is better, but it's also more crowded. And then there's other times where the fishing is not quite as good, but there's nobody around. So it's it like, it's a day-to-day thing. There's like, I, I would personally say uh, that there is no better time. You know, there's definitely times where there's more fish around or the weather's nicer, but it, it, it's kind of like a balancing act, uh, you know. And it's like, you know, I guess if you, if you don't like being cold, then that definitely say later in the season. Uh, but I personally, I don't mind. I actually kind of enjoy that uh, suffering aspect of winter steelhead fishing. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I've had some of my best days in 20 degree weather, yeah. uh, where people say, oh no, it's too cold. They won't bite. And then we go out there and we just have an amazing day. So, it, it. uh, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's more of a day to day
0: thing. That's, that's it. Yeah. You like the pain kind of from your bike days, right? You like, yeah, yeah. I
1: don't know, Some kind of de- mental defect. I don't know too many concussions or what, but, uh, yeah, yeah I kind of <laughs> enjoy it. I guess it's like the same reason why people run marathons, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you won't catch me running for anything unless it's after a fish. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, marathons are not uh, not easy. We're running in, down to me. Yeah, <laughs> we running to net a fish. Totally. all,
0: totally. Well, what's your so so? Kyle, give me. Let, let's start to take it out of here. Uh, give me a, a, a think of a fun fact about your uh, maybe something with you or
2: your fishing something somebody doesn't know. Um, I'm blind in one eye. <laughs> oh, really? yeah um like six years ago i lost complete vision in my right eye due to a rare genetic condition Uh and uh, my left eye is still not great so uh, i've had to struggle and relearn and find ways around wow so that's that's been really interesting i took probably six years off from fly tying just because i was Mm -hmm. discouraged i'm like how the hell am i supposed to tie flies if i can't see anything and with the help of good lighting and some magnifiers Mm -hmm. i was able to make it work and i think now i'm a better fly tire than i was no kidding and you know waiting is a little tricky with no depth perception but i get by i fall in a lot but i, I still catch fish i still get it done
0: <laughs> yeah that's a, i was gonna say the the uh on the hook out there the surf
2: trees. yeah hook a lot of trees yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i have one I, kidney if that does anything <laughs> wow yeah god you
0: you guys you guys got had some serious uh serious life here man you got i mean between the the uh, teeth knocked out and and losing the, you know, some of the
1: bodily
2: uh, internal organs. Yeah. We've, we've been through it, but we just love it so much that nothing is going to stop us from doing it.
1: Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, it's nothing compared to what uh, say a salmon goes through swimming up the river. Uh, So yeah, we've got it pretty easy still. That's right.
0: (laughs) That's right. Well, and the salmon, the great thing, or not the great, but the, the crazy thing about the salmon is that literally, I mean, they all die after they spawn, right. Which is like spawn or die yeah yeah spawn till you die i guess is, is all ray trolls yeah. right there right Spawn till oh, it's not
2: like that for us yeah <laughs> no so we got one positive so we'll leave
0: it on that we'll leave the uh the optimism today is going to be that we uh not only the sweet surf perch episode uh information but uh, the fact that yeah we're not like salmon so we're we're gonna keep uh keep spawning <laughs> we're, yeah. keep, we're not gonna die um, cool guys well um anything else you want to leave us with before we get out of here um that we missed today or anything with the shop i know we didn't we didn't go deep on any of that but uh i mean
2: let's say like check us out on instagram and youtube and our website everything we sell in the stores online too yeah and yeah. we have like twenty thousand products in the store so we're pretty well stocked
0: oh cool Yeah. Yeah. So everything. So the water's West and, and, and the flight time materials you talked about. So you've got that same tradition that you, you know, that you had previously that you're still doing that. You're trying to get the, the Steve jobs of the materials. You're still got that working.
1: Uh, Yeah, we're, we're working at it. We're, uh, we're all a little more relaxed. So it's, 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 you know, we have to work on it. But uh, yeah, we're definitely uh, trying to keep the tradition of the really, uh, really good, high quality uh, dye materials. Uh, Custom dyed material. Yeah, we're getting back to dyeing. We had some issues with our dye supply, but um, we, we've got it back. So we, we actually do a lot of in-house dyeing of a lot of materials, uh, you know, a lot of colors you can't get anywhere else. Uh, so we're getting back into that and uh we're working on a new new website because ours uh currently is um Pretty probably historic. from the nineties and it's just uh you know it it's really um kinda uh slowing things down. But uh we've got a new one coming soon. uh so yeah, it should be good.
0: Well, wow, there you go. So you guys you guys got it going and uh and I, I was going to say, we'll circle back. So, waterswest.com is the best yep. place. And is, is it just Waters West on um, everywhere on social?
2: Uh, Waters West Fly Shop.
0: Yeah, Fly Shop. Okay. And and you guys now, is it just uh, in the shop there? Is it just you two guys or anybody else in there?
1: Uh, there's three of us. Uh, so, it's Kyle, myself, and Tim. And then we've got um, Elwa and Nandor that are the, uh, the graders, the shop dogs. Oh, nice. You got the dog. So, you got shop dogs, not shop cats. Correct. Uh, we actually used to have shop cats, but uh, <laughs> yep. they're no longer here. <laughs> they're not, uh, <laughs> There's
0: still awesome. a lot. They're just not here anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well. I think we'll have to leave this one until, uh, you know, we maybe follow up with, uh, what I'd love to do is come back around with you guys and do a, um, you know, we obviously had a ton of Steelhead episodes over the years, but um, it would be fun to do that. Maybe have a little a positive note to come back and talk more about Steelhead and dig into the <laughs> rivers because you got all these rivers, these amazing names, right? I mean, the Ho, and you can name all these these rivers you guys have out there that are kind of famous. Um, so I'd love to dig into that at a later point, but until then we'll leave this one here and, uh, yeah. Thanks again, for, you know, both of you guys for taking the time and, uh, we'll definitely uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you.
2: Yes, yeah. No pleasure, Dave. Thank you, Dave.
0: So there it is. Good stuff, right? Wetflyswing.com slash three, three, seven, 337. 337 will get you all the links, all the show notes and maybe a bonus video. If, uh, if we come up with something maybe a bonus video you gotta check it out to see what we, we always have a, a nice video or two and actually usually a pretty killer video would love to hear from you if you get a chance um, if you're listening right now to the very end you gotta definitely reach out to me dave at wetflyswing.com or you can do this on social media and just check in let me know you, you heard this episode let me know that maybe surf perch maybe surf perch was something you've been thinking about uh, definitely a species that uh, is a lot of fun so give her a shot and give me give me a ring. I'm going to let you get out of here now. I hope you are having a good day, a good evening or a good morning wherever you are. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Hope to see you on the water and hope to talk to you online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing fly fishing show. For notes and
2: links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.